All right, Luke chapter 12 is where we are at today. If you will open your Bibles there. We've been here in Luke for about a year, and we've made it to chapter 12. Thank you, Jesus. So, uh, (laughs) there you go. You know, as you're making your way there, I'm reminded this morning, just in the text, and sort of with the big idea of the text, I'm reminded of of, of an experience I had when I was a kid. Uh, My dad took me, we lived in the South Bay, we we grew up in Redondo Beach and Torrance area, and... Uh, the Queen Mary had come into Long Beach, and uh, they were they, they had its final voyage there across the Atlantic, and they made it over here, uh, you know, to the Pacific, and they brought it into Long Beach, and then they promptly stuck it into to dry dock to sort of rehab it, uh, to stick it in its final uh, birth spot there in Long Beach. And many of us have been down to see the Queen Mary and have. Uh, been on it and so on and see it on the newscast, usually in the weather. They've got a picture of the Queen Mary in the, the Long Beach Harbor there and as the backdrop. Well, we went down there and uh, just watching them and, and uh, just all the work they were doing on, on this enormous ship. And one of the things that they did on this ship was they took the smokestacks off and they were going to sandblast them down and repaint them before they stuck the ship on display, and when they took the smokestacks off and they began to sandblast them, they disappeared. What they realized was that the smokestacks had over 30 coats of paint on them, and any steel that they had once adhered to had long since rusted away, and the only thing that remained was 30 coats of paint. They just disappeared. And, and so the, the funny thing is, is that people are like that. People are like these giant smokestacks that when, you know, they, they, when, when they're finally exposed, you come to realize that, that it, it, it's all just a covering. And what we're going to see in our text today is that Jesus is going to say, look, it's only a matter of time. If you're, if you're just living undercover... It's only a matter of time before you're uncovered. He says there's nothing covered that will not be revealed or made known. And we're going to have this extended look at the subject of hypocrisy today. Pastor Kyle talked about it last week. And Jesus is going to talk more about it here in chapter 12. And, you know, on on the negative side, you might say, wow, here's here's the warning. The warning is don't be a hypocrite because there's nothing hidden that's not going to be revealed. And if you're a hypocrite, it's going to come to light. Certainly that's the truth, but there's a a greater truth here. Because what we're going to see is that not only is this a warning against hypocrisy, but this is a great promise that that if you will, will seek to live that real life, that honest life, that life of faith where you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that, that you don't have to be this 30 coats of paint kind of existence. That, that there is something so much greater that awaits you and awaits me if we just simply come to the Lord on his terms in, in openness and in honesty. And so Luke chapter 12, we pick it up. In the meantime... When an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he, Jesus, began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. 
For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be made known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, they have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. That's easier for some of us than others, right? Uh, Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him, the Son of Man, will also confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. And now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Believe it or not, Luke chapter 12 begins the final month of Jesus' ministry on earth. Here for the rest of this gospel, we're going to be covering one month's period of time. So Jesus here, he's in the final month uh, of his working here on the earth, and he's preparing his disciples for his departure. He's getting them ready to take the baton and to continue his work uh, here uh, on the earth. And here now in chapter 12, Jesus has four warnings for his followers, four things that he tells them that they are to beware of. He's going to tell them that they, or has just told them they need to be beware of hypocrisy, and he's going to talk to them, he's going to go on, he's going to warn them to beware of covetousness, he's going to warn them to beware of worry, and to, fourthly, beware of being spiritually dull. And what we're going to focus on today is just that continuation of the, of the beware warning that the Lord gives about hypocrisy. Last week, we looked at Jesus' rebuke of the religious leaders for their hypocrisy, and, and essentially, here's, here's a summary of what Jesus said in, in Luke 11, 40, verses 44 and 46. I'll put it on the screen for you. He said to them, you are like hidden graves in a field. People walk over them without knowing the corruption that they're stepping on. And you, he goes on to say, crush people with unbearable religious demands and you never lift a finger to ease the burden." Here's how Matthew records this same thing. Matthew takes just a slightly different look at what Jesus said about this and records Jesus saying this to the religious leaders. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. These are the harshest words that the Gospels have what Jesus had to say. Harshest thing Jesus ever said is is right here in in these verses. 
And it's worth noting that Jesus didn't say these harsh words of rebuke. He didn't say them to the harlots or to the drunkards or to the fornicators. No, Jesus had these harsh words of rebuke for the religious leaders of his day. Why? Well, understand, here's what the religious leaders have done. They had set up a religious system, and it was full of rules, and it was full of regulations, and it was a system that, first of all, they themselves didn't keep. Secondly, the problem with their system was that it was powerless to save. It was dead on arrival. It was, hey, here's our religious club, and these are all the things you need to do to be right with God, and God is sitting up in heaven saying, well, I never said that. I never told you to do that. And so it was powerless to save, absolutely powerless, dead on arrival. And the great irony here was that these religious leaders who prided themselves in their religious piety, they were going to hell. And worse, not only were they going to hell, but they were leading others to follow them in their ways. And this is why Jesus had the harshest words of rebuke for these religious leaders. And here now what Jesus is doing is he's turning his attentions from from rebuking these religious leaders. And now he's discussing, he's addressing his disciples and the followers who are thronging in. So many that they're they're trampling one another. And so Jesus here in, in turning his attention to the disciples, he says to them here in verse 1, and it says he says to them, first of all, that is, it is of utmost importance that we hear what he's about to say. He says to them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, leaven is basically the yeast that they would put in, in their bread dough to make it rise. And the way that leaven works is that it causes a fermentation process. And so what happens is this leaven goes into the dough and it causes the dough to literally rot. And as that dough rots, what happens is that gases are released as the dough begins to decompose. And so these gases being released cause these little air bubbles to be stuck in the dough they don't they're just not released into the atmosphere and so as you start filling up the dough with more and more gas the dough begins to rise now this is what gives bread that sort of tangy flavor that we all love and when you toast that bread you get all those little nooks and crannies that holds the the butter so nicely that's just basically the space of the gas bubble that was in there such a metaphor, such a picture of sin, isn't it? Oh, it tastes so good. You know, it, it, I, got the, I got this fantasy when things get too stressful. I'm like, man, I, I just go drive a bread truck, man. <laughs> and that's not original to me. There was a pastor up in Seattle who used to talk about that. I'll, you know, if things get too stressful, I'll just, go t- I'll just go work for a bread truck. What's the worst thing that can happen? You wreck the truck and, and you just got to bake some more bread, you know? And, and, you know, but imagine that. You know, you just, you, Brenda and I, we went on this cruise to, 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 to in 
in, in Europe, you know, for our 25th anniversary, and we went to this little place in Nice, France, and they had this little bakery and all of these pastries and stuff, and we're drinking a nice hot cup of coffee. I'm thinking, man, I could just live right here in this bakery, <laughs> right here in this little square. Just so amazing. And, and, and sin, man, it just is so tempting in that way, right? But Jesus says, look, the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. This, this, their hypocrisy rots you from the inside out. That's the, the picture that he's given. Now, two things to understand about leaven. Number one, it rots everything that it touches. Absolutely everything that leaven touches as it pertains to the dough completely rots. And the second thing about leaven is it only takes a little bit. Only takes a little bit. And the way they would work it, they just take a little pinch out of today's dough and use it for tomorrow's dough. They, they still have the sourdough bread that we eat. It's all, you know, traced back to the original strain that they were baking back in the 1800s. Do you know that? You go buy sourdough bread at the store, it traces all the way back to every single day. They just take a little pinch from, from yesterday's loaf and put it into today's loaf. And it just takes a little tiny bit to rot through and through. And Jesus says hypocrisy works exactly the same way. What Jesus says is that, hey, listen, just a little tiny bit, the leaven of the Pharisees is going to rot you from the inside out. Now, we understand the word hypocrite. It comes from Greek theater. It refers to an actor who's playing a part. He's pretending. You may have seen the movie Green Mile. And there in the movie Green Mile, there is a scene where uh, Tom Hanks goes to see the prosecutor, and he's played by Gary Sinise. And Tom Hanks is worried, like, did this guy really commit the crime or not? And this... this, this uh, Actually, I take it back. Gary Sinise was not the prosecutor. He was, he was the defense attorney. And so Tom, Tom Hanks, he's like, hey, did, the guy, did your client do it or not? And so, so Gary Sinise calls his young son over to, to show him the damage that the dog had done to his son. And he's using him as an object lesson to tell this guy, look, you know, the, my dog just got it into his head to attack this, this kid. And, uh, and, you know, that's what your, your, your guy did. That's what my client did. He's guilty. You, be- you better believe it. Well, here's my point. In this scene, the kid that he calls over has been mauled by the dog, and he's missing his eye, and his face is all deformed. Well, that kid's played by my son, Scotty, whose eye is not mauled and whose face is not deformed. They did all of that in special effects, and he would go in for hours into the thing. But here's the point. As he was filming and, you know, had to go through on the set like that for several days, walking around looking like this mauled, deformed kid. And one of the moms of one of the other actors on the set, she thought it was real. She, she was so convinced that this, and she was thinking, she was having a conversation with my wife, and she's like, I just, I thought, well, how creative are these guys? They could, they could find a kid who actually has a deformed face who can actually act. And, and Brenda said, his face isn't deformed. That's, that's special effects makeup. See, here's the point. You've got people who are, who are hypocrites, who are playing a part, and other people look on, and they, they don't know. That ain't real. That's, that's, that, that's just a fake and a phony. And what Jesus is warning his disciples about here is that acting isn't limited to the theater. He, he's basically saying, look, it can show up 
in the church as well. He's telling his disciples it can show up in you as well. Paul warned Timothy that this is going to be a huge problem in the last days, the days in which we're living now. Here's what Paul warned Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He said, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some people will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Here it is, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. He goes on to say in 2 Timothy, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly, stay away from people like that. And that's what Jesus is now saying to his followers as he turns now from the rebuke directly of the religious leaders. He's turning now to his disciples and the the followers who are thronging in, and he's basically saying, don't be like these guys. Don't be like them in your Christianity. See, here's their situation. Look again there at verse 1, chapter 12. We see the people thronging in. We see them trampling all over each other to get to Jesus. Jesus' popularity has gone out. He's a celebrity now. And by extension, what's happened is so have his disciples become celebrities in in a way. That they're, they're connected to Jesus, he's super popular, and now they've all got sort of positions of authority, and so now they're sort of becoming a celebrity as well. And this is, this is some heady stuff, and it can lead to a very real and dangerous pride. Paul said to the Corinthians, he says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? You see, when we come to Jesus, there is no pride in it whatsoever. Absolutely nothing to boast in. Paul told the Ephesians, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it. There's no pride in our salvation whatsoever. God in his grace, he makes us a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So there's nothing for us to boast in or to be prideful about. It's all Jesus' work. It's all Jesus' grace for us in our life. But there is a temptation to drift away from this simple walk of faith, trusting in the Lord, and to finish in the flesh what God began in the Spirit. And this can be especially true when God raises you up and begins to use you in some particular way, to where you can begin to to feel like, didn't I do a great job? Well, no, God in His grace and mercy picked what was not the sharpest knife in the drawer to do a great work. And we just go, wow, Lord, thank you so much. But what happens is we can get into this place where we want to finish in the flesh what God began in the spirit, and now we're a pretender instead of a contender. Now we're a mask wearer instead of a light bearer. And this is what God desires for us, but he does not want us to not to be a mask wearer, but to be a light bearer. That's his desire. But so often what happens is we're tempted to be a mask wearer. Now, for these disciples, the temptation comes from being up front. The temptation comes from being in the limelight. 
It's been said nothing fails like success. Success breeds complacency, inefficiency, and worst of all, arrogance. Now, what can happen, and believe me, I have seen it with my own two eyes. What can happen is that you start to believe your own press clippings, and you let people put you up on a pedestal. And what happens then is you take your foot off the gas, spiritually speaking, you become complacent, right? And what happens is ever so subtly, you start to drift and you start to compromise. And then what you once did so naturally in the spirit, well, now what happens is it becomes a manufactured work of the flesh, because you started to drift, because you started to compromise, because, you know, all of a sudden it's like, oh, they're, you know, look how successful I am. And God's like, I ain't going to be a part of your success. You want your fingerprints on it? That's all for you. And now all of a sudden you start, you got in the manufacturing business. And it's hypocrisy. Now another way this happens is Maybe not that you start off by being up front and having a work of the Spirit or whatever. Maybe it starts just in the very beginning. It's all about a coat of paint on nothing. You know, maybe what happens is that you, you, you hang your righteousness on what you do. You buy into some sort of religious system just out the gate where my right relationship with God is because I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't hang out with girls who do, you know, kind of thing. And so, so you got this sort of, you got this sort of work-based mentality, which is why Jesus continues there in verse two, and he says, "There's nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be made known." Listen, it's not if you serve God; it's why you serve God. It's why you serve God. It's not if you put an offering in the bag that when it goes by; it's why you put an offering in the bag when it goes by. It's not. If you come to church, it's why you come to church. And so Jesus continues in verse 3, Look, therefore, whatever you've spoken in the dark, it's going to be heard in the light. Whatever you've spoken in the ear, in the inner rooms, it's going to be proclaimed on the housetops. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, they have no more that they can do. But I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him, who after he's killed has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more value than you are of more value than many sparrows. Now I want you to take a note of word that's used here. It's used twice. We see it in verse four and we see it in verse five. It's the word after. Look there in verse 4. He says, I, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And here it is, after. Metatautau is the word. I probably butchered that in the Greek, but it's after, right? After that, have no more that they can do. Again, you see it in verse 5. Show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he is killed has the power to cast him into hell. That word after. Here's the idea. It means that which follows behind. That's the idea of that word after. And that's what we have to understand. We can't ever forget. This life is temporary. This life is a fog. Your life is a mist that's here for a little while, and then it's gone, the Bible says. It's a vapor that's here for a little while, and then it's gone. And there is something that's coming after. And Jesus is saying, you better tune into the fact that there's something coming after. If your life is hypocrisy, if your life is 30 layers of paint, 
around nothing, there is an after. And when there, you come to that after, listen, we have to understand that everything's going to be revealed in the after. Everything's going to come to life in the after. There's an afterlife. And it's appointed unto man once to die and then to face judgment. And we will stand before the God whose eyes are as a flaming fire, the Bible says, whose nothing can be hidden from him. And listen, here's what we need to understand contextually. What's going on here is that you've got all of these religious leaders and they led by fear and they led by intimidation. And so for them, look, if you crossed them, it would have dire, you would have dire consequences that you would suffer. You, they could cast you out of community. You, you could end up losing your job. You could lose your home. You could lose your friends. You could even lose your life because these guys just did not want anybody to, to not toe the line. So there was this incredible pressure to conform. Even if your conformity was just an external show because that's all theirs was. But that's what they were interested in. What's the outside of the box look like? And do you conform? And, you know, sometimes churches can operate with this kind of incredible pressure where, where there's this intense pressure to conform your life externally. Sometimes Christians can operate with this same worthless religion, the same worthless attitude. We can come across like the guy that we're going to see when we get to Luke chapter 18, probably sometime next February or March or April, I don't know. But when we get to Luke chapter 18, there's this picture of this religious guy who goes up to pray. And then there's this other guy that goes up to pray as well. Now, the religious guy, he's all, he's all proud. He's all haughty. He's all about the external. God, thank you. I'm not like other men. Thank you that I'm not like this loser over here. Because I do all of this stuff. I do A and B and C and I tithe and I, and I do all this, this, this great stuff. And, and the other poor slob, he's just there and he just cries out, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And the Lord says, so which one of those do you think went away right with God? I'll tell you who it wasn't. It wasn't Mr. Proud, religious, pious man. And some Christians, we have this attitude. We just come, we come across like, hey, you know, this is, this is it. It's all about the external. It's all about the outside of the box. But Jesus says here, listen, there's something which follows behind after this life. And you can live a mask-wearing life and you can play the actor all day long. But listen, that day is coming when you're going to stand before God. That day is coming with the one who knows every hair on your head. He's going to have you give an account of your life. And you ain't going to be hide, able to hide behind those coats of paint. It's been said you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. Well, I'll just tell you, you can never fool God any of the time. And so Jesus says here, he's like, look, hey, fear him who after he has killed has the power to cast into hell. And the word that he uses there for hell, it's Gehenna. Now, Gehenna is a valley. Uh, It's it's also referred to as the Valley of Hinnom. And and the Valley of Hinnom uh, lied to the south and, and on the west side of Jerusalem. And, and what happened is this was the place where, where for, for years and years and years, there were those that would practice child sacrifice. They would sacrifice their children to Moloch. Uh, by the way, we still do this today through abortion. They worshipped Moloch and they would take the newborn baby. The Moloch was the god of sex. And they would take this baby, they would heat up this brass uh, image of, of Moloch and they would lay the baby on this, on this fiery red brass image. 
and the baby would basically burn to death. And we in America are still burning children to death inside the womb. It's been said, if God doesn't judge America, he does Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. And so what happened is Gehenna was this place where that would take place. Now, King Josiah, he stopped child sacrifice in the Valley of Hinnom in 2 Kings. But what happened with this valley, with this area, that it became a garbage dump. And so there were perpetual fires that would be burning in, in, in Gehenna um, as people would burn their trash. And it would be this horrible, foul, stanchy place. And, and so what happens here is that Jesus is using this as a picture of hell. Listen, hell is not some mythological place. Hell is a very real place. And Jesus says it's a place filled with fire and stench. It's an awful place. You don't want to go there. It's a very real place. But if you live as a hypocrite, where you're clean on the outside and you're filthy on the inside, that is the risk that we take. That's our risk. So what do we do? Well, look at verse 8 and 9. He says, I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will also confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Jesus clearly is calling his listeners to a choice. And I'm calling you to a choice today. And the choice is, look, you can either be with Jesus or you can be against Jesus. The choice is you can either confess Jesus or you can deny Jesus. Jesus continues in verse 10. He says, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who, will be, uh, who, uh, who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Now, let's, let's address that for a minute. What is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Occasionally, I've actually had people come up to me. They say, oh, pastor, I'm, I'm afraid I've, I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Well, listen, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is a settled rejection of God's truth. That's what it is. It's a settled rejection. See, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. There's God the Father, there's God the Son, and there is God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's main ministry is to testify of Jesus Christ. Jesus said this in John 15. He said, I will send to you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he will come to you from the Father and he will testify all about me. This is the primary role of the Holy Spirit. And if you utterly and completely reject Jesus Christ, his testimony, the testimony of the Holy Spirit about Jesus Christ, then that's when you blaspheme the Holy Spirit because you're essentially calling him a liar. And those who reject Jesus in a settled sense are guilty of this sin. I love the way that David Guzik puts it in his commentary. He states it perfectly. He says, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, not because it's a sin too big for God to forgive, but because it's an attitude of the heart that cares nothing for God's forgiveness. It never has forgiveness because it never wants forgiveness God's way. Now here's my question for you. Do you want forgiveness today? Because the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. We're talking eternal death, eternal separation from God in this place, Gehenna, that Jesus describes. But listen, God desires that none should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. 
And the Bible says if we confess our sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess means to agree with God. If I say, I agree with you, God, I am a sinner by nature and by choice. But you know what? I'm also going to agree with you that you're a good God, that you're a loving God, that you don't want anybody to go to hell. And so much you don't want anybody to go to hell. What did you do? God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. You wouldn't perish, but you would have everlasting life. That's what the Bible says. God loves you. People say, how can a good God send people to hell? God God doesn't send anybody to hell. God sent his son so you wouldn't have to go to hell. If you deny his son, it's literally over Jesus' dead body that you will go to hell. But God doesn't want that for you. Now, if you're worried today, you go, wow, maybe I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit and I've committed this sin. No, 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 because here's the thing. If you've worried that you've committed that sin, you haven't. The mere fact that, that you are worried about it tells us that you're not in a place where you could care less. It's the people who could care less that blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Now, that's what the religious leaders are doing here, right? They're denying Jesus And it's the bullseye of Jesus' rebuke. Hey, dangerous ground. Don't deny me and don't lead others to deny me. See, they built this false religion. They based it on external works or uh, external works and they flat out rejected Jesus. And not only are they going to hell because of their rejection of Jesus, they're strong arming their followers to do the same thing, which is why Jesus now says in verse 11 and 12, now when they bring you to the synagogues and the magistrates and authorities, these are the religious leaders, when they bring you before these guys that are strong arming you, trying to get you to deny Jesus and do things their way, he says, don't worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. Hey, they're saying they're going to kill me. They're saying they're going to they're destroy me. He says, for, don't worry about that, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Jesus here is talking now not just to his disciples, but to everyone present. And what he's saying is, not only don't be like these guys, but he's saying don't let them bully you. Don't let them strong arm you. Don't let fear of reprisal keeping you from Jesus. Don't let peer pressure keep you from Jesus. You know what's going to happen here in just a couple of minutes. I'm going to pray and I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I recognize the majority here have done that. Praise Jesus. But you know, I wonder if maybe some of you haven't. I don't know. If I ask you today, where are you going to spend eternity And your answer is, I'm not sure. Hey, you can be sure today. If I ask you today, hey, what is it that earns you the opportunity to go to heaven if your answer says, well, I'm basically a good person? Listen, that's not how you get to heaven. And if that's your answer, I would just lovingly tell you, you've been trusting in the wrong thing. You've been trusting in religion if that's your answer. You need to trust in Jesus The right answer is, how do you know you're going to heaven? It's because I've confessed that I'm a sinner and I've asked Jesus to be my savior. Listen, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. He'll forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I'm gonna give you that opportunity. But if there's some part of you that goes, oh man, I'm embarrassed to raise my hand. Oh, I'm with friends. What are they gonna think if I raise my hand? So listen, if they're really your friend, they'll applaud the fact that you've just made the most important decision in your life. Now, a lot of times we fear rebuke. I want to share a a video with you. Let me set it up, and then I'm going to show it it to you. It's just a couple minutes long. 
we took a, a mission trip to the Philippines, to the island of Samar several years ago. There was, there was a typhoon, lots of destruction. We went there to do some relief work. And while we were there, the Holy Spirit did this great work. And there were many who coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ and now needing to step forward and be baptized. And this is precisely what the Lord was laying on our hearts to give this invitation. Well, in giving this invitation, the culture in which they live, you make a decision for Jesus Christ. You get baptized as a born-again believer in Christ. You will be ostracized. You will be put out of community. You may lose your family. You may lose your home. It's a big deal. It's a lot of pressure. And yet we made the invitation. Check out the video. Thank you, Lord. Hear me, please. Everyone who was baptized did so recognizing this may be the day that my family cuts me off. This may be the day that I get fired from my job. This may be the day that I get put out of community. I'm not going to live a fake life. Jesus is Christ. I'm going to trust him. He promises he'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. It'll cleanse me of my sin. It'll give me new life today in Christ. God wants to do that today in your life. Don't let fear of anything keep you from Jesus. Don't live a fake life. Let's seek the real thing. 